welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zarovskinski. Um, and today I'm very excited to share that my guest is Emily Henry, author of Book Lovers, an insightful, delightful, instant number, not number one New York Times bestseller from the author of Beach Read and People We Meet on Vacation. The book was also named a most anticipated book of 2022 by Oprah Daily, Today, Marie Claire, Katie Kirk Media, The Washington Post, and many more. Emily Henry studied creative writing at Hope College and now spends most of her time in Cincinnati, Ohio. Find her on Instagram at Emily Henry Writes. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, like so many people, I have just devoured all of your books. I'm such a big fan. They are just a treat that I so look forward to, and I feel like um, I'm seeing them everywhere. Everyone's enjoying them this mm-hmm. summer and and past uh, past few summers as well. So I'm just really excited to get to speak with you. Thank you. That's so nice. I mean, it has been wild to actually just see my book like <laughs> everywhere. It's wild. And yeah, it's still very surreal. Yeah, I feel like if you're, you know, at a beach or by the pool right now, somebody is reading book lovers or one of your past books. It's yeah, very fun. It's so cool. I wanted to share, I really liked this review from USA Today, which I think sums it up well. Book Lovers is a treat from start to finish, flipping the conventional small town love story trope on its head. This enemies to lover lovers novel is a quick and satisfying binge read. And I definitely want to talk more about that, um, you know, kind of flipping the trope on its head. So we'll definitely get to that. But um, I'd love to hear first just a little bit about Nora and um, kind of the premise of the book and kind of what got you wanting to take this on as your next next book. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you kind of nailed it. The book really started with Nora. And for me, usually books begin with like the setting and then the premise kind of folds neatly into the setting. And I guess with this one, you know, like I said, it started with Nora and the premise was very much wrapped up in her. So I had been watching a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies as one does (laughs) and I love them. So no, truly no shade against them. But when you watch enough, you notice this reoccurring trope of, you know, the, the small town love story where there's like this romantic partner at the beginning of the movie who's just there to later show how much better the real love interest is. (laughs) Um, And so you see that, you know, it's very gentle and mild in in the Hallmark movie version of it, but you see that in other movies and in books as well, where there's sort of like the foil to the, to the real romantic lead um, who kind of disappears partway through the book and seeing like a few of these storylines back to back. I just thought that it was really funny basically to imagine that, this one woman who is, you know, a cutthroat, ambitious career woman in New York City, who's just like calling her boyfriend being like, have you done it yet? Have you fired everyone at the local toy shop that you've been sent to destroy? Like, (laughs) why haven't you done your job? Get back to New York. Like the idea that that same character pops up over, over and over again, I just became like, infatuated with the idea that it could be the same woman getting dumped over and over and over again in this very specific scenario. And I kind of wanted to just dig into that first, just because I thought it was funny. But then the more I thought about it, I I also was, you know, intrigued by the way that we as storytellers use these little details as a shorthand to show if a character, you know, how we're supposed to feel about characters as an audience member. And so 
the the Nora character, the the start of Nora really was this woman who's like, you know, always wearing high heels, no matter how impractical they are. And she never leaves the house without a full face of makeup. And every time she goes out to eat, she orders the same basic, you know, salad and like a dirty martini. She, she doesn't like beer. She doesn't like the outdoors, all of that. And so it was just really taking that character and giving her a really um, full backstory and then also seeing like, okay, well, what would her version of a love story look like? This woman who keeps getting dumped for (laughs) people who are her polar opposite. Let's, you know, see where does she come from? Why is she the way she is? And then also where is she going? Yeah. Oh, it made it so much fun to read and just sort of as, Anyone who yeah has watched a ton of those movies or read a lot of the books that have that trope, it was so fun to kind of see it flipped around and um, get to see Good. things from her point of view and kind of wonder like, oh, how is Emily Henry going to like, where is she going to take this? Is she, I, I won't give anything away, but you know, yeah. like, is she going to, you know, what kind of happy ending is she going to give right. her? And it was just so fun to get to kind of guess Thank and you. read all about that. Yeah. And I loved um, I love books about books as well, and so um, I loved that her job was as a literary agent, and the love interest is a book editor, and um, there's so much kind of behind the scenes um, publishing type scenes, and I really enjoyed reading about all of that. Did you? Um, and I know we've we've seen that in some of your other books as well, and it's so much fun to read about. Is that something that? you really, I'm sure you enjoy it as a writer. Is that something that you are really drawn to as a reader too? Just sort of that, those books about books? Ooh, I, I don't know that I'm actually drawn to it as a reader, which is pretty oh, funny, but yeah, I think, I think that, you know, it's something I'm really familiar with. And so it's fun to write because I know what I think is funny about the business and I know what I think is frustrating about the business and weird and quirky and all of that. And it's just something I'm really familiar with. And so it feels like I can give it the real um, space and attention and detail that it needs on the page. But as a reader, because I feel that way, maybe there, there are definitely times that I'm reading books about writers and it, you know, there's a, a specific sense of humor to it that I, that is so familiar to me. And I'll really enjoy that. I feel like, especially like in kind of darker genres, like I have a whole essay about this in Beach Read, but I, one of my closest writer friends really does think that The Shining is hilarious. And ever since <laughs> learning that from her, which I love The Shining, the book so much, but ever since learning that from her, every time I like read or watch The Shining, there is this sort of like cheekiness where I'm like, yeah, that is how it feels. <laughs> like, that's how it feels. Like, you know, and I don't even think that's necessarily what Stephen King was doing. But just the just the like slow unraveling of being too deep in your work. So th- I think I like it when it's kind of done with like a dark twist. But I'm I'm actually like, don't really find myself specifically pulled to <laughs> pulled to it as except as a writer. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Well, so I would imagine then you don't have to do much research in terms of, you know, the inside publishing type world, but is there any fun research you did for this book, either like visiting a certain location or um, like trying out different, um, you know, restaurants or dates or just any kind of fun research that you did? 
I'm sure that there was, you know, it's kind of hard (laughs) to remember a book by the time it comes out. I'm just like, I vaguely know what happens in this book. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there there actually was some research as far as the agenting side of things, because even though I've been working with an agent since 2014, um, there's so much that they guard you from. And, you know, so much of their job really is sort of this weird, like, counselor for you. And so you you miss a lot of the stuff on the other side of it. You're like, I don't know what you do. I just know that you do it really well. So there were things definitely like in an earlier draft of Book Lovers, the, the relationship between Nora and Charlie was much more focused on negotiation. That was kind of the, the tension between them as they're trying to negotiate this book deal. And then we moved and leaned more into the editing. Um, but when, you know, but there were just a lot of little details like that, that my agent had to kind of give me behind the scenes looks, looks at. And then also my previous agent, who's now a full-time writer, um, read for me as well and, and gave me little details. Um, and you know, there's, there, like Libby, Libby is pregnant in the book, Nora's younger sister, and I have not been pregnant. So there were a lot of little things I had to just kind of confirm <laughs> about that. Um, there's, there's always just such weirdly specific stuff that while I'm Googling it, I'm just like this, uh, you know, <laughs> like this makes me seem so strange. Like for the book that I'm working on now, I'm just doing such, I can't, I probably can't even share what I'm Googling, but I'm just doing such highly specific Google searches that are truly bizarre. Um, which is one of the fun parts of it when you're just like, okay, th- nobody else will care about this, but I have found this tiny little thing that I must get right. Yeah. Oh, I, I always think it's interesting to hear about that, that process. Well, you know, I read in an interview of yours where you talked about kind of getting into your characters' heads and figuring them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of that is sort of thinking about like the trauma they might have experienced. Oh, for in sure. Their lives. Yeah, could you talk more about that? Because I do think you're, I mean, I'm sure one of the reasons that we all connect so much with your books is the characters are just so well-developed and interesting. Thank you. So I'd love to hear how you, how you um, get them that way. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I have done therapy and the thing that you realize very quickly in therapy is that like your problems are not new. (laughs) You're just like, Oh, maybe it's shifted and it looks different because your life has changed. But so much of, you know, what's hard for us in life, you can trace directly back to your childhood, or at least that was the case for me. Um, I think that really changed me as a writer to, to, do that to go through that process and realize how connected every piece of me is and how my present is influenced by things that didn't even necessarily seem that significant in the moment. And when I'm writing a character or specifically when I'm writing a romantic relationship, I think the thing that I always come back to is like when you're falling in love, it is this feeling of mining each other's histories. You're just like, I want to mainline you. I want to know everything about you. I want to like take you apart like a clock and you want them to see, you know, every side of you like (laughs) gradually. So, so, you know, the only real way I know how to write two people falling in love is to have them really sharing themselves. And like I said, I think that a lot of what's hard for us can be traced back to to things that happened when we were kids. And so I think a ton 
about my character's childhoods. And that might be kind of, um, for people who aren't big fans of my books, that might be like a thing that bothers them even. They might feel like, okay, these characters are in their 30s. Why are they like, you know, why is the actual emotional arc of this book about something that happened when they were 10? But I really do believe that. I think so much of... Um, of what I love about writing love stories is it's, it's this opportunity to, yeah, have these two character characters see each other and be seen and to heal. It's like getting, getting that thing that you didn't get that you needed. It's like really just being validated. And so for Nora and Charlie, you know, they're so similar. And that was actually a big struggle in the book is that I knew I wanted them to be really similar, but they couldn't have the same backstory. So it was kind of like this weird reverse engineering of like, how could, what are two different paths that could lead to this kind of person who really likes um, control, who really likes stability, who is super devoted to their work, um, you know, who has kind of like a harsh sense of humor at times. It was like just tracing back, like, what do I think makes a person like that? That's so interesting. And I think kind of aspiring writers like myself will be very interested to hear about that. I'm actually, um, it fits in so well. I'm reading right now Story Genius by Lisa Brown. Yeah. And that just, she, I mean, I'm only a few chapters in, but um, there's so much talk about kind of what has to drive the story is that character's inner life and history and how they're going to face certain problems and you can't plot things or anything and yeah. you know your characters so well. It's so yeah. Or if you do, you know, there's just still not going to be that emotional connection. And it's funny, that book was recommended to me by the same friend who, um, who thinks the shining is hilarious actually. Oh, and I, I bought it and I started reading it and I was like, Oh, okay. I like probably read about as much as you've read. And I was like, unfortunately I do think this is already what I'm doing just from like having gone to therapy. But, but again, I think when I was reading it, I was like, this is so familiar. This is exactly the way that I think of it. So I do totally recommend that book for anyone who's having trouble getting deeper into their characters heads and and understanding the why of the story. Like I really, yeah, I, I thought that was just so, it was just like a very organized way of presenting something that can feel very messy in the moment. Yeah. Well, and you must be, so she references in the book how some very gifted writers just do this kind of naturally. So I don't know that it's the gift. I think it literally is having gone to therapy. I do. I mean, and you know, I think writers in general tend to be very observant people. So if you get a writer into counseling, then on the other side of that, they're going to, I don't know. I think that's going to happen kind of organically for a lot of people. That makes sense. Well, you know, that does, I, one of my questions was going to be of um, kind of how you did really develop your writing craft and did you have a, a long journey to um, getting published? Can you talk a little bit about that? I think I had kind of the, I, um, I had a medium. <laughs> I, I had a, in a way I had like a very normal journey, I guess is what I would say. And, and everything is normal also is the other thing in this business. It's like, you can be querying for 10 years. You can be querying for 10 days. Like there's no one size fits all. But for me, I was a voracious reader, like most writers, like hopefully all writers, I was a voracious reader. And I, you know, played around with writing as a kid and a little bit in high school. And then I got really, really into dance in high school. And so I went to college to study modern dance. And 
I actually went on a partial writing scholarship. <laughs> and so oh, wow. the, the, yeah, so the thing that I had to do, it was like, I wasn't that great of a dancer. I just loved it. But the thing that I had to do to, to keep this scholarship was take like either one writing class a semester or one a year. I'm not sure which it was because as soon as I got into my first, you know, college level writing class, I loved it so much. And I took one at least every semester and um, ended up switching my major. And, you know, at first I was like, I'm going to have a dance minor or a double major. And then I was like, I'm gonna have a dance minor. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to take dance classes. So they kind of swapped places as far as um, heft in my life. And then when I was finished with college, I got a full-time technical writing job, which was not good for me. And I really am like, okay, if I could do that again, maybe I would have gotten a job that wasn't writing centric. So I had more energy for writing, but you know, on the other hand, it was like, I was just miserable enough to work really, really hard toward publishing. And as a person who's, you know, kind of um, rejection averse, I think that desperation was helpful because once that job became untenable for me emotionally, I just was throwing myself into querying so hard um, because I just was like, I need to get out of here. So I queried, you know, I had written probably four books just kind of like throughout the course of college and the couple of years after college. And um, I queried two of them. And on the second one, after many rounds of queries where it was rewriting the book, rewriting the query, I'm horrible at querying. I finally <laughs> got an agent and that book didn't sell, <laughs> which is a very oh. common thing. Yep. And then, and then I wrote another book and that book did sell and it was, you know, kind of just like a mid list YA novel. And I, I did a couple more of those and, um, and that was, you know, like the best thing for me, but it, it was very challenging because um, no, I don't think like writers aren't really emotionally prepared for the reality of publishing. It's like this thing that is so important to you that feels like the whole world revolves around it. And then you put it out into the world and it's just like crickets and that's normal. Like you don't know it's normal, especially if you've befriended people in the industry who are much more successful than you, which was very much my situation. I had all my closest friends were just like thriving, selling super well, getting really well reviewed. And I was just like, and I also <laughs> write books. <laughs> um, and so I did that for a few years and I then was writing Beach Read just like totally on a whim for myself. Like I just needed something happy. The world was feeling really dark and scary to me. And so I sequestered myself in this story that I didn't even have plans to sell. And then a couple of years later, I was watching this big um, romance renaissance and I like emailed my agent and was like, I think I maybe wrote one of these. I think that's where it would fit. And um, yeah, the rest was history, but yeah. So I had a full other so career, you know? Yeah. And that you kind of wrote it, not thinking it was going to be yeah. the thing I, that actually kind of catapulted you. So for sure. Yeah. So having had that experience of maybe, you know, having it be difficult to find readers and, and mm -hmm. have them connect with your work, what was it like to have Beachery just completely take off and the rest of your books? To, I mean, everyone's just yeah. clamoring for them. So what has that I been mean, like? It's been really, 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 really surreal. But I, I really do think that the the I think it happened to me the best way it could have, because when Beach Read 
blew up the way that it did, I had a real realistic enough view of publishing at that point that I was like, this is amazing, but this is a lightning strike of a book. And this doesn't mean anything for future books. I need to try and enjoy this, but to not change my expectations um, because I had just sort of gotten to the point of, you know, making peace with my career and thinking all that I can control is that I'm happy with the book and that's it. So I, I had just gotten to that point and then Beach Read came and kind of like obliterated everything for me and just really <laughs> like raised my expectations. But I spent the whole first year after Beach Read came out just being like telling everyone like, well, it's not going to happen again and I'm just trying to enjoy it, but it's not going to happen again. And And my whole team at Berkeley, my publisher later was like, every time you said that, we were like so annoyed because we were like, it is going to happen again. We're going to, we want it to happen again. And so then when people you meet on vacation came out, it did just so much better than people, than Beach Read. And it was the same thing the whole next year. It was like, okay, I got lucky two times in a row, but this next one. Um, so, you know, like I'm trying to just stay grounded. And, and I think, I'm I'm just so grateful that I didn't start out with Beach Read because I know how hard that can be to like have your first book. Like, you know, from the outside, that's what everyone wants is like, you're the splashy debut. But on the inside, that can be so gutting and devastating because, you know, this, this career is a roller coaster. There are ups and downs. And when you start out on such a high, it can just be so painful to, to follow that up and to feel like, you know, your career just is over before it began, which is not the truth, but I know that it can feel that way. So I'm really, exactly. And, you know, and like also when, when a publisher really gets behind your book, then there's also this immense pressure because you feel like you're capable of disappointing them. Whereas if a publisher is like not even retweeting your post about your book, then you're like, you know what, (laughs) if this doesn't sell, (laughs) will anyone really care? It's kind of just like, I'm, you know, I'm driving the boat here. Yeah, it makes me think of, I remember listening to an interview once with um, Paula McLean about The Paris Wife and how mm-hmm. she was so happy that that wasn't her first book and that, it, yeah. you know, it had taken her a while because um, to be catapulted like that and she kind of already knew um, what it was to sort of be in the publishing world yeah. before that and everything. Well, and- like second books are notoriously hard. Like that's a thing unless you get lucky and write your second book before the, the first one comes out. And then your third book is really hard. Like that is a, th- a curse <laughs> that most people <laughs> experience. And so, you know, when you start out at that level, you're just way up here. Everything's going smoothly. Then the second book is going to be that much harder because you actually, you know, know you have readers, <laughs> which I had already done a second book. I'd already been through that excruciation and um, that was helpful too. Yeah. Well, are there, um, I know you mentioned kind of earlier in your career, having a lot of authors in in your circle. Are there particular authors um, that you kind of um, lean on in your kind of writing journey um, or that um, you really admire? Oh my gosh. I mean, so many, like, you know, the, the friends that I made, um, when I was debuting in the YA space have continued to be really close friends and I read everything they write. And that friendship is really based on like love and respect, just loving their work. Um, a few that come to mind are Brittany Cavallero, who wrote the uh, a study in Charlotte, um, Charlotte Holmes novels that are, she's like a huge, huge Sherlock Holmes um, freak, I will say. And so she was <laughs> able to write a 
YA series kind of inspired by all of that. And um, my other good friend, Jeff Zentner, writes these beautiful coming of age YA novels. And my friend Riley Redgate does like a little bit of everything. Her last was sort of this uh, near future sci-fi, like Lord of the Flies in space kind of vibe. Um, and those, you know, those are a few people that I've continued to lean on throughout. And and in this iteration of my career, there are so many people who have just been amazing about like, you know, just lifting me up and doing events with me. And you know, Jody Pico is the first one com- who comes to mind where it's like, this is the busiest woman on the planet. <laughs> and she <laughs> finds time to blurb as many books as she can. And she does launch events for people. And it's just like, you are putting out like two musicals this year and two books and like have a family. And I don't really know. She has a time turner, I think, but um, (laughs) she is incredible. She's been someone who's been like a huge champion from early on. That's so lovely to hear. I feel like I hear so many stories of just writers being so generous with their time um, to other writers. I just think that's lovely. Um, Well, kind of speaking of of other books, I would love to hear um, what you've been reading lately. And I mentioned this before we got started, but I I just want to share with listeners right before Emily and I were on, I was interviewing um, Jamie Ford, who wrote The Hotel at the Corner of Bitter and Sweet and has a new book out. And I asked him what he's been reading and authors he admires. And he said, didn't know I was speaking to Emily Ness, but just went on and on about how much he loves Emily Henry. And he just listened to people we meet on vacation and book lovers on audio. And um, so I just always think it's so funny to kind of hear, you know, authors being impacted by the works of other authors and getting to kind of hear about people's reading lives. I thought that was fun to get to hear about. So amazing. That is yeah. just funny. I mean, it's that's still even surreal to just be like, anyone knows my name? <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do, would you want to share who you've been reading or any I would love to. I, I have three off the top of my head that are really different. So I'll get hopefully something for everyone. So the first one, we'll start with a rom-com. Catherine Center's The Bodyguard just came out. And it is so fun and sweet and just heartwarming. Um, It's about this female bodyguard who is hired to protect this actor um, at his family's home in Texas. And the only way that she can really do it is by pretending to be his girlfriend. (laughs) So it is just delightful. Um, It's really wonderful. And oh, then I love her. For, I can't wait to read that one. Oh, it's so good. It's my, it honestly is my favorite of hers, but it might just be because we're in a pandemic and this book is just like sheer happiness. <laughs> and oh. you're like, okay, this is great. Like there are, there's some heft to it still, but it just feels like so warm and fuzzy. I love it. Oh. Um, and then two others real quick that I just read and like devoured Louise Hare's Miss Aldridge regrets is this like Agatha Christie esque mystery set on a ship from London to New York. Um, so, so, so fun. And then I also just read Kirsten Miller's the change, um, which is sort of like witches of Eastwick with female revenge. And it's, I mean, it's really, really, uh, it has every trigger warning. I think that you can, come up with, but it was fantastic. Oh, I'll have to check those out. And I'll definitely link to those if um, people want to check them out. Well, um, I really, I I don't need to put in much of a plug, but if anyone somehow has not picked up Book Lovers yet, or Petrie, or people we meet on vacation, you know, don't miss out. Um, These are the perfect books to bring on vacation, read them at the beach, by the pool. They're just such a delight. And I would assume 
not to put pressure, but I'm guessing maybe there'll be another book next yeah. summer. Yes, that is the plan. Unless something goes horribly awry, I will be turning in a book <laughs> very soon for next summer. Oh, that's exciting. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on. Um, congratulations on Book Lovers. And it's just such a delight to get to read your books. It was wonderful to get to chat with you. Thank you so much. This was really, really lovely. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash A Bookish Home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.